0: Thanks, Joe. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. So glad to be with you. I am uh, recently back uh, from a vacation, and so I've been eager for this moment. Uh, Let me pray, and we will begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of gathered community. We're mindful this weekend, Lord, of uh, the legacy of Dr. King and his impact into our country, and Lord, we're also mindful there's work yet to do. Uh, we gather today, Lord, under your scriptures. We gather today, Lord, as men women, uh, old and young, left and right, uh, centering around what we agree on. And Lord Jesus, that's you, and that's the truth of your scriptures. We pray you'd meet us today, uh, that we would learn about joy from new perspectives, eternal ones, as you challenge us, Lord, and encourage us that our life is the very testimony that we seek to live. In your name we pray. Amen. The message this morning is called Joy from New Views or Joy from Eternal Perspectives as we talk about joy through the book of Philippians. We're going to look at every verse from Philippians. I hope you brought your Bible. That's really what we're going to be talking about today. Philippians 1. Uh, t- new views. Uh, just I mentioned recently getting back from vacation. We got an opportunity to fly. We flew out of Bellingham. Long story. But flying out of Bellingham, we, we left through the clouds. And as my little guy, who's five years old, as we you know, kind of went through the gray and then the clouds and then popped into the clear blue dawn, sunrise, my little boy was just giggling at the change of perspective, and, and then we get to this, which was our perspective for a little over a week, and so I just want to gift that perspective to you right now. You can just kind of breathe in of uh, the sunshine and a beach, and like, oh yeah, you can almost hear the wind through the palm trees. Uh, the reality is that uh, we hunger for a different perspective We also often let this manifest in a desire for different circumstances, different people, or or somehow thinking that if something was given to me different, then I'd be able to have a new perspective of my life. The truth of the gospel today through the book of Philippians, that, that we would get as God's people a new view on our current situations, a new view on our current lives. And as we look through Christ, that that I want to encourage you and challenge you this morning. I want to, church, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you this morning that joy is possible, not with something else changing, but in the here and now because of who Jesus is. And because of who Jesus is, Christ wants to encounter us and give us a new perspective, a new lens, a new way to look at the life we live right now. That's a primary message from Philippians, 15 times in this book. Paul talks about rejoicing or taking joy. Either either the the, the Greek uh, noun kara or the verb rejoice 15 times in this little book. It's about finding joy in the midst of the very darkest of situations. Last week, Pastor Richard teed this up for us. He talked about Paul who's, who's in jail for his belief about Christ in the very darkest of situations. Paul is able to continue to preach joy. He is not preaching joy if he gets released. He's not preaching joy as some sort of mandate that that must happen if something else changes. The joy is possible in the here and now through Christ, and that's what we're going to be talking about here over the course of the next couple of weeks. Particularly this morning, that the pursuit of joy is our aim as followers of Christ. That we as Christians would have joy because of who Jesus is. And that joy would give us a new level of engagement into the life that we live. Into our interaction in social uh, media, into our relationships, into every situation we face. That we would be known for the joy of Christ. And that's the, the point. That a new perspective will create a new view of Jesus and our life. And many of us, we can, we can lose perspective so easy and we can focus so often on, on changing circumstances. But what Paul says here in Philippians 1 is right where you're at, you need a new view. Turn to someone to your left or right and just encourage them this morning. Turn to them and say these words. Say, you need a new view. You need a new view. Turn to them and remind them, you need a new view. Okay, I can't give you... I can't give you Maui this morning, but I can encourage you that you need a new view of the life that you're living right now in the situations facing you individually, in the situations facing us corporately, that through Christ we can have this new view. And so, our big idea this morning is simply this that joy comes from this new perspective, and that every struggle we face, and there will be struggles. That we have a new mandate as followers of Jesus Christ. That, that because of who Christ is, that we can look at every situation as an opportunity for his glory in our life. And so let's look at three new views from the text of Philippians ones that ideally will help you find joy in the midst of your current situation, not your next one. The, the first situation is this, and it might be the very hardest The new view is not in your bulletin. You're going to have to do a little work this morning. You're going to have to write this down. The first new view I want to give you is this, is that your chains preach. Your chains preach. This is the new view I want to give you as you start the new year, that your very chains from Philippians 1, your chains is a metaphor for being in jail, your chains preach. Oftentimes in my world as a pastor, we we kind of joke around, we use this phrase, oh, that'll preach. Preach. It means something in your life that you can draw a deeper comparison out of and bring to your congregation. Well, that'll preach. Something funny or something enlightening or something encouraging. And we love the good stories. We love the, hey, you know, we heard this thing and experienced this thing and lives were transformed. That'll preach. But what Paul says here in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 14, is that it's actually our, our persecution and our difficulties in life that will bear witness to real faith. Anyone can believe on the beach in Maui. It's much harder to come back to the rain and the storms and the reality of real life and say, my life is forged in the midst of my present difficulties. And I know for some of you in this room, that might be theoretical, but for some of you in this room, you're dealing this morning with a full plate. Your heart is heavy. Your anxiety is high. Your worries are many. And the challenge of Paul in verse 12 through 14 of Philippians 1 is that your chains will preach. Not when these present difficulties are removed, though we long for that in the midst of our present difficulties. Look at verses 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers and sisters... Paul writes, he's sitting in a a jail cell. I want you to know that what's happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's remarkable Paul's not waiting for his situation to change to talk about the goodness of God. No, he's saying it's because he's in this current situation that his gospel message about who Jesus is, that the transformation is happening and the guards are hearing about it and the the people in charge of the jail are hearing about it and in the midst of the difficulties, lives are being changed. Now, I, I would love for nothing more than this congregation. It's like full bank accounts, full relationships, new jobs, new baby. Like the, the bustling of life. Like, bring it. We want it. We're hungry for it. That's the goodness. And we get moments of that. But dare we to think that it's only the goodness that preaches of God's goodness. Now, what Paul's saying here is that your, your, your chains will preach Later on, he's talking about people that are continuing to preach the gospel, but maybe don't have the right intent. In verse 18, Paul says, Christ is preached, and for that I rejoice. If the, if the sum of our life's actions is Jesus is glorified, then we can take joy. Not in some sort of Pollyanna, like, oh, it doesn't really hurt. No, it hurts like crazy. But if God is being glorified in this current situation, then joy can be present, And instead of pining for just, you know, the release from jail or, you know, God, if you could just do this, you know, work me out of this present situation, then I'll experience your joy. (laughs) Then I'll speak up for others. Then I will serve. Then I will give. If you can just deal with the jail cell, God, then my faithfulness can increase. It's a lie. Because every one of us in the room, we know that the next jail cell is upon us. This is the moment of life. Of the highs and lows and do not be tricked or deceived into thinking that the worship comes after the jail cell no paul says in the midst of every difficulty you can worship god in every challenge and difficulty corporately what does that mean for us corporately we look into the world right now missile alerts in hawaii imagine being in the hawaiian islands yesterday you know, I mean, right? Like, we can laugh, but for 15 minutes, people in one of our states were sure a missile was coming their way. And, you know, we're looking around corporately, and we're saying, I don't, I don't like what I see. I'm worried. It, it may feel like a jail cell. I, I'm worried about what's going to happen around the world and around our nation. Individually, we're worried. I mean, it's a new year. Many people after the holidays, we're worried about family we're worried about relationship. We're worried about money. Or we're worried about loneliness or our health. And we can declare that this jail cell will not define my worship. This lack of this, like every one of us could fill in the blank. The stuff we'll face. And that's just part of life. But we can say, God, in the midst of this present difficulty, it will not define my worship. I will continue to believe in the goodness of God. And not just my present difficulties. And I'm not going to believe that lie that only once all this stuff is solved, then I will praise the Lord. Now, in the midst of every challenge, we can declare, God, I will not let this current situation be the Lord of my life. Lord Jesus, I want you to define my worship. And that means we can have joy. James says this in James 1 verses 2 and 3, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of in, of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance that's amazing Here's that joy word. It's bigger than happiness. It's deeper and more sustaining in any situation. Happiness can come and go. Jail cells will come. Perspectives on a beach in Maui may come or go. But no, real joy will sustain us 52 weeks a year in every high and every low. And so James says there's real joy even in the midst of the jail cell. And I think we have to just pause and deal with the complexity of that verse because the suffering is real. And Paul doesn't, Paul doesn't say it doesn't hurt. He just says that when we suffer, as long as we keep a perspective that Christ can be glorified in each and every situation, corporately and individually, then the joy can be possible. This reminds me a great deal of the story of Joseph, Jacob's son, in the book of Genesis, at the very end of Genesis. We've talked about this verse before. Read it if you need to be encouraged. Joseph was enslaved during the very prime years of his life, sold by his brothers out of jealousy, you know, sold to Egypt, into Potiphar's house. He, he's enslaved, he he. he, he prophesies and and has hope that he's going to be released from his jail cell it doesn't happen he's he's literally rotting away in the midst of jail and through that he doesn't lose faith and he doesn't buy into the belief that his faith will begin when he leaves the jail cell no he stays consistent his life preaches despite and in the midst of his chains And then there comes a season. He's out of jail, and he he actually gets to serve his family and helps restore the fortunes of Israel, and he has that powerful line at the end of Genesis, and and he says, do not despair. What you meant for harm, he says to his brothers who sold him into slavery, what you meant for harm, God used for good. And friends, in any situation you face, in any jail cell, know that God can use that challenge today for more joy in your life, for more hope, for more perseverance. Don't, no, no, don't say, well, it doesn't really hurt. No, it's, it's, it hurts a great deal. And yet, even here, in the midst of this present difficulty, I will trust the Lord. Recently, this author shared this quote, and it impacted me a great deal. He says, nobody cares about the life you are going to live. Now, go and live your life now. And friends, I want to give you this, this difference between intent and and impact that our intentions are often good but in the life of faith it is our impact into the lives of others that is truly measurable and the church can talk a lot about the intention of the scriptures being lived out in our life but if there's a message from Philippians 1 it's that our impact matters our impact matters it's not just what we believe it's how we behave and we might see other people behaving badly and say, you know, that's not okay. And, and it's good to speak out against behavior that you're not okay with. But lest we forget, our own lives will bear witness to what we believe by how we behave. We had it happen this summer where we thought, you know, we want to, as the, the group that does the community breakfast on where we wanted to, you know, not just serve breakfast, which that volunteer group does twice a month. They're not serving breakfast on the on the. Uh, Methadone Clinic campus. So we want to do a worship service with our friends from Aurora. Uh, and so on Saturday morning during the summer, our volunteers brought breakfast, we worshiped, speakers spoke, and, and we had a worship service to Jesus. It was amazing. In the parking lot of the junction, right on Aurora Avenue, cars flying by, and you know, here are those crazy Christians proclaiming what they, what they believe by how they behave. And I believed that the people coming to our breakfast deserved to be treated with dignity. I believed that we wanted to show them the radical love of Jesus Christ. I believed that one of the ways we could do that, we could even have this really tangible foot washing station, which sounds a little creepy to most of us, but I believed that if we showed people the way that Jesus would have loved them, then I believed then, then it would have made an impact in their life. But the problem was, I didn't want to actually do it myself. Because was, you know, I was dealing with my own kind of jail cells like about the small business we own. And I was worried about money. and I was, I was there, but I was like, you know, when you're there, but you're not there. Like I was worried about stuff. And so you know, the breakfast unfolding. The foot washing station happens. We have a volunteer over there doing it. And then she waves me over. She says, you know, we have someone else that wants his feet washed. And I'm like, okay, I believe that's a good thing to do. But my behavior does not want to match the belief. I didn't want to do it. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you, that's a reality. We can believe, but will we behave? And there was no one out. Who's going to do it? She looks at me. She's like, well, you. You know, I'm like, ugh. And so as I get down on my knees to wash this gentleman's feet, remove his socks and sandals, he looks at me, and it's a longer story. But he says, you're the, one, you're the one I've been looking for because I needed somebody to pray with me. And I want to tell you That from my knees, I had a new perspective of the value of this gentleman. Because each and every one of God's people have intrinsic value in our world. Addicted or not. From Haiti or Norway or, or Ireland or United States. Because of who God says they are. They were made in the image of God and I believe this man was valuable but until I got on my knees and took his socks off and dealt with my own prejudice, my belief wasn't shaping my behavior. Can you see it? Your chains will preach but you've got to get the behavior to match the belief to get real impact. The church's measurable impact in our society is the way that we who believe Christ will behave. Second point I want to give you comes from verses 19 through 26, a new view that you have what you already need. I'm kind of challenging this morning this ethos that somehow that things will be easier for our worship later. Paul says from the midst of his jail cell, you already have what you need. He says in verse 19 through 26, let me read it to you. He says, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. What is Paul talking about? He says in verse 19, I'll rejoice in what I already have. I have the prayers of the people and I have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you are in Christ this morning, if you said, Lord Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life, whether that's been for 50 years or for 15 minutes, you have the gift of the Spirit that you're willing to release into your life. And, and Paul says, "If you're praying for me and the Spirit is empowering me, I, I, I've got, I've got to, the courage I'll need. This, and he says, it's going to take Courage. He's basically setting up in verses 19 through 26 this idea of impact versus intent. He says, though I long to leave, there's work to be done. There's labor to be here. And and I'm going to continue to work out my love for you in the midst of this jail cell in Rome. Take courage, says Paul, because the life of faith will be very hard. He would write about this same experience in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8 through 11. Or he says to the church in Corinth, when we can understand just how hard the life of faith can be at times, just so we're all clear. There's no free passes in the life of following Jesus. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Do you ever, do you ever feel like that? you ever feel like you're, you know, enduring far beyond your ability? No, I do. So did Paul. He said, so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He'll deliver us again. On him, we've set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. And then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted in the answer to the prayers of many. Well, it said one scholar about this passage that his belief in God never wavered, but his feelings came and went. Because this is the life as a Christian. You will face amazing difficulties and you will face challenges at times that will steal your happiness but cannot detriment your joy. There's this challenge that Paul sets up that we get to receive as God's people. That we can live like we know we won, but we will work as if the outcome is still to be determined. Paul, over and over and over again, he reminds the people of God that because of the grace of God, that the work is already done. And yet, Paul, from that new perspective, it engages him deeper with the work of reconciliation, the work of preaching the gospel, the work of justice. So the challenge for us as Christians is to believe we have won, to believe if we have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of us that, that we're good, and yet, work as if it has not yet been determined. From that place of God has saved me, but I want to I step into this challenge that my, my impact in my life will be when my behavior matches my beliefs. Paul says, it will be difficult, but there is work to be done in how you live. I will continue with all of you, he says in verse five. What do you continue to do? How does your life Live out your beliefs currently. What are you doing in your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your family, to, to work out this belief that you're claiming if you're in Christ? There's definitely, friends, there's, there's work to be done. And We're mindful on Martin Luther King weekend on one of the places that our nation continues to have so much work to be done is just crossing the racial divide. Continuing to build relationships, not from people of comfort, from, from our origins of where we came, but understanding our own cultural identity and reaching out in relationship cross-culturally to understand that all of God's people are made in God's image. In the Old Testament, we get this mantra to, remember, to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. And then in the New Testament, Jesus says, this is what matters. Love God and love others. How do we do that? That's, that's audacious, but the reality is that one of the ways that we can do that is continuing to break down the, the judgment of people in our society. We, we specialize at judging others. And the gospel is calling us that through the gospel of Christ to, to love other people so that Christ would be made known in their life. People that look different than you, that act different than you, that, that even believe different than you, that you act with mercy with them it 's not putting you into a place of deference it 's actually putting you in a place where Christ can be glorified in their lives when you live out mercy, you may or may not know that i 'm the leader of justice and reconciliation initiative for all six campuses and kind of have my hands full. Recently, I got an email from from someone who I respect a great deal from our congregation, and he just simply said this. He says, I'm not sure that anything we're doing has worked in regards to race, in regards to moving the needle with judgment and persecution of our women, in regards to honoring human life. He's like, I'm not sure anything has worked. And I'll confess to you at times, church, I'm not sure either. But we will not abandon the call to take these scriptures serious and to show God's mercy for all God's people and speak out when people are snuffing at the image of God in other people or, or specializing not in the love of Christ but in some other judgment. And we will speak the words of hope. We will unify around the very center of our faith, which is Christ Jesus. It is the legacy of this church for over 100 years that we would major in Christ and so Paul says there's work to be done in every situation. May we continue to, to know as if the, the victory is won, but work as if it's still to be determined. Because the world is watching not what we believe, they're watching how we behave. I don't know if you saw the national championship game for football. I caught parts of it, but caught the end of it. Alabama against, help me, I, thank you, Georgia. And in the game was something happened pretty unique as a football person. The, the, the starting quarterback for the last two years at halftime for Alabama was benched. Benched. They were down 13-0. It seemed like kind of a radical move. And, and, and put on the field was a, was a freshman, 18 months, or no, I'm sorry, six months out of high school. This guy Tua Tongavilo. Turns out, Tua Tungavilo, nobody knew who he was. Literally at halftime, they were writing a Wikipedia page about him. Like nobody nobody knew him on the sideline. He was the backup, but nobody really knew him. But then he goes in the game, he throws the touchdowns, he wins the national championship. And his interview at the end, he was all about Jesus. Friends, here's what's remarkable. Like, they were writing the wiki page at halftime. Nobody knew, but he knew who he was. He'd been practicing for years, both his faith in Jesus and this gift of football. What's the point? The point is that for many of us, it's halftime in our lives. And we can, we can act with confidence that Christ, if we're a believer in Jesus, that someday we'll know Jesus face-to-face. And, and that and that way, my, my security is, is, is secure. My salvation is secure, but my safety at times may feel in jeopardy, but my worship will not be compromised. And nobody is writing a Wikipedia page about you on the sideline, but be prepared. Be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. like It's already secure, and yet Christ is calling us through this book of Philippians that the joy happens when when our actions match our beliefs. And we become activists, we, we rise up, we become truth tellers and, and praising Jesus in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and with our children and in our marriages and our dating relationships where in each and every opportunity we're proclaiming the gift of God, not for something that I might have, but today believing I have what I need. That's the new view I want to give you. And finally, I want to give you this third new view, that you will earn this day. You will live a life, says Paul where well, you will earn this day you will live a life as a Christ follower where you will step into the calling that his grace has lived out in your life at the end of Chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Paul says some of the most foundational words in the entire book. It'll be a major theme we'll come back to over and over again. Look at verse 27. It's a crux verse here. As you earn this day, look at verse 27 from Philippians 1. Whatever happens, says Paul, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, whatever happens, your view isn't dependent on the bars of which the jail cell you face. No, whatever happens in life, In whatever goodness, in whatever challenge, in whatever health crisis, in where you're at, in relationships, whatever happens, says Paul, your behavior must match your beliefs. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, for a Christ father, it's like, well, the gospel is simply this that I didn't earn anything. That Christ came and lived a perfect life and was nailed to a cross for my behalf so that as he shed his blood, I wouldn't have to shed mine. He he made a way. And they laid him in a tomb and three days later he he ascended and did ministry with his friends and he rose to heaven and he waits for us still. So my life is called to live as if Christ died for me and and live in such a way that Christ would be proud of my life. I can't earn anything. But I do know that whatever happens, my conduct must give glory to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need a higher standard. We need a higher standard. And what's the standard? It's the gospel of the grace of Christ. People say, well, isn't that just kind of works righteousness that we're going to do more? No, we won't do anything to earn the gospel of Christ. We simply receive. But grace that doesn't change us, friends is cheap, and is actually not honoring God at all. Behavior not shaped by the gospel is all just about a works righteousness. If you're trying to earn your way to Jesus, there is a third way, that the gospel would be lived out in our life with fear and trembling each and every day. Lord Jesus, today, make my conduct honoring of the gospel of your life, and that his life would live in us, that we would Earn this day, that we would receive the grace and live the truth, and that our actions would speak. Church, how do we do that? I want to encourage you to to do here in January, do an audit of your life, do some reflecting. Are you reflecting Christ in where you're at? Are you reflecting Christ in who you're with? Are you reflecting Christ in what you care about? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In 1 John 3, John, the the beloved of Christ, says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's the gospel. I just mentioned that. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, has no mercy on them, has no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Not just intent, but impact. Not just belief, but behavior. A third way, we're receiving the grace of Christ. It changes us dramatically where we would not be seeking our own safety, but trusting in the salvation of the Lord, that we would rise up. This is the time for the church to be full of Jesus and to be seeking to speak about the truth of Christ's power. And that, friends, won't bring a guilt trip. It will bring joy. It will bring joy for us. In the midst of this present situation, real joy is available through Christ. We spent a week on vacation, and for me, that's an opportunity to read, so I read a ton this last week, and was really fascinated with a story I read on World War II. Even, I would say, I got some new views on World War II, and Hawaiian history, and, and everything that was going on, Japanese-Americans, and uh, challenging time, and I was thoughtful of that Scene from the end of Private Ryan where Matt Damon ha- has been fought over. Men gave their life to protect this character of Matt Damon, fictional story, but at the end of the fictional story, Matt Damon walks into the graveyard in Normandy with his family behind. He's an aged man, and he stands before the thousands of crosses, mindful of the sacrifice. And if you remember at the end of that movie, if you've not seen it for a while, it's a great watch. He he says this, the Matt Damon character who who was saved by a group of men who dedicated their life to saving him. He's now an older man and he says this. He says, every day I think about what you said to earn this day. I tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope I've earned what all you did for me. And then he turns to his wife and he says, tell me I've lived a great life. Tell me I'm a good man. It's a great scene. It's a great scene. Friends, I've never been to Normandy, and I didn't have the honor to serve our country. I know some of you did, and I thank you a great deal for your sacrifice. But I want to change the view here a little bit and put every one of us in the driver's seat. Every one of us in this room, at some point of our life, will stand before a different cross, an empty one. And we will approach the throne where the Lord Jesus reigns, and we will give an account of our lives. We will talk about who we stood up for. We will talk about what we cared about. We will talk about how we gave. We will talk about how we served. And there in the presence of Christ, I I mean, I imagine if you guys are like me, I, I imagine almost like wanting to come and just like, I tried to live a good life. And, you know, I could almost like, I can imagine speaking words and maybe not having words at all and just falling down on my knees. And I just, I imagine the Lord Jesus just putting his hands towards me and just saying, be quiet now. I've earned this day for you. I gave my life for you. I earned it. There's there's no amount of earning to do. No, you just need to receive the gift of grace. But may you live differently. May you receive this radical nature that the grace of Christ is challenging us to conduct ourselves differently. And I feel like Jesus would just, if he could just send us back into the lives we currently live saying, I've already earned it. Just receive it and live it. And know this third way, that you are, whatever happens, called to live a life giving glory to Christ Jesus, speaking up, acting out, loving justice, doing mercy, loving God, loving others, not earning anything, but receiving all of the joy that Christ has for you. The very best life is lived in abandon of our own desires, that the joy of the Lord would be lived In us as his people. Would you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for how you challenge and encourage us. Thank you so much for how you speak through your scriptures to us. Thank you so much that in the midst of a Roman jail cell, you had the audacity to speak into Paul's life and teach him the joy, real joy was present. Lord God, we're mindful of the jail cells represented in this room here this morning. Lord God, we know there are real people in this room that are feeling a great deal of heaviness or being enslaved into something they're trapped by. Lord God, would you would you rain down your mercy in their life and free them from their present situations? Would you would you give them hope in the midst of the difficulties they face? Lord God, would you make us a church that's practicing what we believe? That's loving those on the margins that's speaking out for your goodness, that's believing that there is an impact to be made through the church. We all want to give up. We all want to give up. Lord Jesus, it is your glory that we're seeking to make manifest. And we're broken vessels, unworthy. But you have made us worthy. You have earned this day. So send us back into the life that we already live and teach us, God, how to, how to receive your grace and live your truth and, and conduct ourselves worthy. And when we blow it, Lord, let us confess and get back to it. There's work to be done. And God, we're thankful for your call on our lives. In your name we pray, amen.